It's the final days of six-year no-interest financing at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Upgrade that leaky, squeaky patio door from just $84 a month. Set your free consultation now at 855-PALA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Let us get started. I mentioned this yesterday, but now it's become sort of a huge issue. If you are a landlord and you have not been able to get somebody to pay their rent for, I don't know, going on a year now, should you be able to evict the person? Um, if, and if you're a landlord, I'm not telling you anything that you do not know, but what happened is last August, then President Trump, in the midst of the first rash of the pandemic with COVID, signed an executive order which said that tenants who have missed monthly rent payments, um, could, could not be evicted. You know, and all the tenant had to do was sign a certification saying that they had suffered financial hardship. And then you as a landlord, if you're a landlord, you would not be able to evict the person. Now, the rent continued to accumulate, but you couldn't collect it. On top of that, if you're a landlord, you, you don't get a break. It's, it's not like you get to defer your property taxes. It's not like you get to defer your utility payments on the, uh, on the buildings. It's not like you, um, again, don't have to pay maintenance costs for the things. You still have the money going out, but you don't have the money coming in. All right. So what happened was the moratorium that had been put into place in August, was set to expire on December 31st of 2020. Congress then came in and said, okay, well, that's not enough time. We're we're still in the midst of this pandemic, so we're going to extend it till the end of January of this year, which would then have been approximately six months that the rent would have been accumulating and you would not have been able to evict people and find presumably find a paying tenant. All right, so that's January. Well, January rolls around, and in comes our friends at the Centers for Disease Control. And the CDC has now issued three separate extensions of this order, prohibiting landlords from evicting people for non-payment of rent. Now, the CDC's orders have been challenged in court And it's gone all the way up to the Supreme Court. And essentially what the courts have said is that the CDC did not have the authority to do this. These orders telling you landlords that you could not collect money and could not evict uh, people for non-payment of of rent, that that was illegal. But the courts have said, well, look, since the CDC has set a a definitive time for this to end, which would be uh, tomorrow, as a matter of fact, July 31st, they said, well, we're not... We're not going to overturn the orders, but they've made it very clear that the CDC doesn't have the authority to continue this. So unless something happens as of tomorrow, for the first time in essentially 11 months, landlords who have not been paid rent will be allowed to start evicting their tenants. 
Um, now, there have been some other evictions for reasons other than non-payment of rent. If you've got tenants that are destroying the property, if you've got tenants that are running drug houses out of their places, you could still do the evictions. But evictions for non-payment have been put on hold for the, the better part of a year. Well, the order is exposed to expire tomorrow. Joe Biden, the president, wants, wants, these evict- wants the moratorium to continue wants people to be allowed to continue to stay in places, not be evicted for the balance of the year, even if they don't pay their rent. Nancy Pelosi agrees this is a good idea as well. But Biden says, look, I I can't issue executive orders. I've got a ruling from the Supreme Court that says that the CDC doesn't have the authority to do this. So the only way that we're going to be able to continue this moratorium on evictions is if Congress That would be the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate acts immediately to, by law, extend this. So I I can't do it by just government fiat, by executive order. And so now today they're trying to rush some legislation through the House of Representatives that would, if approved by the Senate and then sent to the president for his signature, would continue to prevent landlords from evicting people for non-payment of rent for at least several more months. Um, As it stands right now, um, they estimate that as of the beginning of this month, there are about 8 million adults who are behind on their rent or mortgage. And um, according to the Census Bureau, those people say they they have little ability that they're going to be able to pay on time next month. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Oh, okay, let's let's tee this up. You are a landlord. You own rental property. You do this, and I, I've walked through this before. People who own rental property, it is an investment. They could take that money that they have invested in the four family or the the two family or the duplex or whatever. They could take that money and instead of buying rental property with it, they could invest it in the stock market. They could invest it in gold. They could do all sorts of things with it, but they've chosen to invest it in real estate. All right. And so if if all of a sudden people aren't able to collect rents, um, it be it becomes very problematic for landlords. How how do you make your mortgage payments? I mean, you've you know how how do you pay the bank the money that you're owed? On top of that, as people fall farther and farther behind in their payments, what what is the chance that you're ever going to be able to collect? That is to say, let's say somebody has a rent of a thousand dollars a month, just for the sake of argument, and you haven't that person hasn't paid rent for the last, I don't know, 11 months. So they owe $11,000 right now. Plus, you know, the next month's rent's going to be another thousand, etc. If the person hasn't been able to make those payments, what are the chances that suddenly they're going to be able to catch up? And, and what's the real world going to look like? All right. Once, you know, the longer you continue this, well, if you, if you owe $11,000, Chances are you're, you're not going to, and you can't pay that. Chances are if this goes on for another six months and then somebody owes 17000 you're not going to be able to pay that either. Is it fair to make the landlords essentially eat this ongoing cost every month? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to allow the moratorium to expire? 
or should we continue to prevent landlords from being able to evict people for non-payment of rent? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess the question becomes, if you're a, a if you're a real estate investor, you, you're a landlord, you've made this investment, and now the government has told you, all right, you, you essentially have to provide free housing for people, now recognizing that there's no chance you're ever going to recruit that investment, how much longer does this go on? Now, let me start with a text I got. We're getting lots of texts, but here, here's one. Well, maybe those people shouldn't have invested in real estate. There's risk with any investment. There's nothing fair about any investment. So in other words, one texter would argue, hey, if you're a landlord, too bad. Tough luck. You know, you you made this real estate investment, and if the government comes along and the government decides that you can't collect your rents, that's too bad. You're out of luck. Well, okay, if that's going to be the attitude... Right. It's so essentially, you know, it's the same as if you invested in stocks, stocks could go up and down. The difference, though, is this is the government. The reason you're not able to collect your money is because the government has told your tenants that they don't have to pay. So if that's going to be the attitude that, hey, at any given time, the government can essentially come in and take your property, because that's what this is. It is a taking. You are not allowed to collect rents. You're not allowed to then evict somebody to bring in somebody who would pay. I think it does raise a good question. Why in the world, if this is the attitude, why in the world would anybody ever invest in in real estate or rental properties? Because if the government can just turn around any time and say, we're going to stop you from being able to evict people, we're going to stop you from being able to collect rent that is due, well, I I think it raises a good question. Why in the world, if that really is the case, would anybody make an investment? 855-616-1620. That's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Tyler in Milwaukee. Tyler, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, so I actually, um, I work for a hotel and we have a guest who is actually behind close to $30,000 now. It's been almost since before the start of the moratorium, and it's we've been waiting since every deadline to get him out. And, and he, 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 right, and, and so, so this is, I mean, the guy's been essentially squatting in the place. You can't get him out. He yep. owes 25 Gs, and let's face it, in the real world, you know there's no way he's going to be. you're ever going to be able to collect that, that 25 Gs. What's going to happen is as soon as the moratorium ends, you start the procedures, he's going to leave, he's going to walk away, and you're going to be left holding the bag, or your employer is. Absolutely, and the, the room is beyond repair. Um, he knows kind of the stance he has, and it's kind of something he's been holding over our head for a while now. Yeah. No, it, it, it's exact. Thanks for It's exactly that that leverage that's there, and and these are the, these real world sort of things. I mean, one of the questions I ask is, you know, and, and this has been part of the problem with all the, the stimulus stuff that we've sent out. 
without requiring it to be earmarked. I mean, I, I think, is it a fair question to say if, okay, somebody hasn't paid their, their rent, is it a fair question to have said, okay, well, well what did you do with, with the stimulus money that, that you got? And, and perhaps if you were in a situation where, you know, you owed money on your living arrangements, maybe instead of you getting the money, maybe that money should have gone directly to the landlord or, or half of the money or, or whatever. I mean, I think these are all fair questions to ask. But the bigger point is, what, 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 what do we expect from landlords? Is it fair to simply say to landlords, well, okay, you, you continue to provide free housing for people and, you know, you're going to be out of luck. Let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, what do you think? Uh, I think that the landlords are getting the raw end of the deal, and I think it's high time that they get some uh, some uh, action that they can uh, have these people start paying some rent. Uh, everywhere I go, there's a uh, everyone's hiring, and uh, there's no reason that people can't go back to work and start making some sort of restitution. These landlords are paying their mortgage, they're paying their property taxes. They're, and paying, your, they're paying their right, utilities, they're, they're paying the upkeep on the place. Hey, the roof's got a leak, we've got to go hire a roofing company to come in, right? The money is going out, but there's no money coming in. And I guess the other frustrating thing, Mike, is that in the real world, that money is never going to come in. It's not like... It's not like you're deferring a mortgage payment. In this case, it, it's, it's rental people. It's, there's, there's nothing that ties that renter to the place. And once the moratorium ends, fine, you say, okay, you, you owe me $12,000 or whatever. The renter's going to say, see you later. Now I'm out. Now I'll find some other place to move to. And the, it's the well, landlord that's holding the bag. Yeah, on the other hand, now. Property values are going up, but who in their right mind would want to buy a rental property? Well, I no thanks. No, that 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 is. I mean, and that's that's okay. So my my texture says, well, this this is just a risk of an investment. I mean, stocks can go up and down. Yeah, but but this is this is the government telling you as a landlord that you cannot collect rents that are owed. Um, here's a text, Jeff. Name another business where the government can stop the owners from billing for goods or services. If the government wants to put a stay on evictions, then the government should pay the landlords. Let's talk to Mark and Sean. Oh, hi, Mark. You're on WTMJ. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Good. Well, I own several properties, and I've worked 40 years hard to get where I'm at, and that's basically my retirement plan is my rental properties. And, and yeah, it is an investment. I'm willing to take the risk. But the risk is, you know, you have tenants that some take care of the property, some don't. Mm-hmm. You do have the risk. Sometimes the property value can go up. Sometimes it goes down. Right. You do have the risk that fixing it, some things happen, need to be fixed. Sometimes you can get by with it, and you don't have to fix certain things. But for this person that uh, texted in earlier and said, well, it's tough luck. That's just an investment. No. What if they went to work and worked hard all week, and they made 500 bucks for the week, and the government just came in and said, well, Mr. Employer, let's not pay this person. We yeah. need the money instead. Give yeah. it to me. Yeah, yeah. You you don't right. That, that's a great that's a great analogy. If the government simply said, "Okay, all you employers, right? Don't don't pay your workers this week. We need more taxes for stuff. So here, the workers are going to be out of luck." You're exactly right. People would people would go nuts if you did something like that. But that's that is a great analogy of what is going on here. With and and again, the frustrating thing, Mark, is that you. It, look, I understood maybe in the beginning where you're trying to give people just a, a break 
mistake. Let's not toss them out on the streets in the heart of the pandemic. But at some point in time, that, that's got to end unless the government is going to reimburse you for all the back rent. And I don't think anybody's talking about that. No, they bail out a lot of places. They bail out the banks. They bail out GM. Uh, you know, why not bail me out? I mean, I provided housing for these people. It's craziness. Well, exactly. Here, yeah. Thanks for calling. No, I, I agree completely. It's a, Jeff, is managing a rental property an investment or is it a business? Is if it, It's a business, in my opinion, and I don't think the government has the right to force private businesses to become charities. That That's what Barry says. And you know, he, he's absolutely right. That's that's the that's the deal now look i think from a perspective of landlords right it, this is just we have this conversation in a different perspective when we talk about like the utility shutoffs you know in wisconsin for example you can't shut off people's utilities from what november 1st through april 15th or something like that and there's a lot of people that that know it and so what they do is they make calculated decisions okay well i don't have to pay my utility bill because I, they're not going to be able to shut off my utilities um on the other hand if if i don't pay my cell phone bill my cell phone's going to disappear if I don't pay my cable bill, they're gonna my shut my cable is gonna be shut off. If I don't pay my car bill, my car is gonna be repossessed. So I'm just gonna stiff the utility company, and then you fall farther and farther behind, and it becomes a hole that you can't dig out of. This is the same scenario that, that's going on, except in a more extreme way. And in this case, it's not the utility company that, that's getting shafted, which is all of us, because we all pay for the folks who don't pay in the terms of you know increased prices and stuff but these are the investors these are the landlords these are the people who are making the investment decision to try to provide affordable or, or at least housing for for people and we're telling them they can't collect no i'm sorry this moratorium should not have gone on as long as it did and the idea of continuing it for another what six months which would essentially make it a year and a half for people not to have paid the rent and been able to leave live rent free that's just appalling you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj here's a text that makes a lot of sense jeff the whole canavic program was not well conceived or well thought out both aisles of government fouled this up. What should have happened was a program for the government where the government assisted renters with their rent, along with a program to assist landlords from defaulting and keeping up their payments. Right, exactly. Instead of just, here, we're going to give you a, a bunch of money, spend it as you see fit. Maybe it's, okay, if you're behind in your rent payment, all right, we're going to take some of the stimulus checks and we're going to direct it to, you know, your, your landlords so that money can go in and it go towards your rent. But, of course, that's not what we did. And now we're in a mess, and the Biden administration's answer is to make the mess even worse. I don't think so. 1231, let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here's Rusty Melberg. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. That's me. Glad to have you with us. Our number, 855-616-1620. Looks like it's going to be an absolutely gorgeous weekend. All right. We are going to talk about masks a little bit later on, but we, we spend so much time, you know, discussing COVID related issues that I, I, I really try to find other things that are interesting to me and that, that we can talk about. And, and so for this segment, I don't want to talk about masks. All right. We're not going to talk about masks. We're going to talk about belts. Well, what do you mean, Jeff? Belts? Well, no, I'm not talking about the kind of belts that you put around to hold up your trousers. Um, I am talking about seat belts. There's a new study out, and and it it let me just just kind of go through the numbers. Last year, 2020, they estimate that 
almost 39,000 Americans died in car crashes last year. 39,000. That's 7% more than in 2019. All right. Now you might say, okay, well that that's not good, Jeff, but you know, it, it's it's up 7%. And that, that's a that's a bad trend, but what's the big deal? Well, the problem is that remember what was going on in 2020. We were at the height of a pandemic. We had all these shutdowns, we had lockdowns, we had shelter in place orders, and, and the total miles driven in 2020 was down 13% from 2019. So so follow this. 13% fewer miles driven in 2020, but the number of traffic fatalities up 7%. So what they're finding is fewer people driving, or at least fewer miles being driven dramatically, but the numbers of fatalities up dramatically. Well, here's one of the other dazzling details that, that's there. They did, they, they go back and they try to, you know, look at, at every crash that causes a fatality. And, and our discussion here, these are fatalities that we're talking about. We're not discussing, you know, injuries or serious injuries or anything like that. But what they found is that of the people who died, of that almost 39,000 people who died, about 50%, one in two, were not wearing their seatbelts they find that the number of unbuckled vehicle occupants killed in crashes increased about 15%. So fewer miles being driven, more people dying, and the number of people wearing seatbelts or not wearing seatbelts who are killed in these car crashes, that's gone up dramatically. And I think the only reasonable conclusion you can draw from that is that more and more people are making the decision not to wear their seatbelts. Now, look, I understand that that part of what is going on is that you have an increase in reckless driving, irresponsible driving, that the kids have stolen the car, they're driving 95 miles an hour trying to flee from the police, and seatbelts are the last thing in their mind. So I, I understand that it, some of these numbers I think are reflected in the, the reckless driving, the car thefts, the, that type of stuff. And so that, that's, that's baked in a little bit. But regardless of even, even accepting for that, I think, I mean, it's the inescapable conclusion is that more and more people are simply not wearing seatbelts when they're out and about driving. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, there are some things that I admit I just do not understand. I, I said the other day, I, I don't understand in today's day and age why anybody would start smoking. I, and I, I like I get I I understand if you got hooked on on tobacco and you're you're 60 years old and you've been smoking your whole life and you you've tried to quit multiple times and the addiction is so bad I I understand that I, I get it but I don't knowing all that we know about like cigarettes and the addictive nature of this and the fact that it's not good for you and and that's perhaps an understatement I do not understand I I'm always amazed when I, I go into a bar or a restaurant in the winter and you see you know young people. People, particularly young women, like, like huddled outside smoking a cigarette, and you want to say, "What are you thinking?" You know, I, I just I don't understand the mindset. Knowing what we know now, why somebody who's twenty two would, would start smoking? Don't get it. Don't understand that. I don't understand also why in today's day and age people do not wear seatbelts. 
Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, when, when I first started driving a long time ago, you know, you just had the single seat belt. And, and I understand, maybe I, I, I might have been one of those people. But over the, the years, as you learn more about this stuff and you recognize how far we've come in auto safety, and we have all these designs that are designed to protect people in crashes and things like that, but it all starts with, with the, the seatbelt system. It all starts with people being belted in with the shoulder harness because if you're not, all this other stuff doesn't make any difference if you're going to be thrown around. And, and I, I know that there are people out there who have this anecdotal evidence, the situation where I know somebody who knows somebody who had a cousin, who had a girlfriend, who had a boyfriend who was involved in some crash. And if they'd been wearing their seatbelt, they and they, they walked away from it. But if they'd been wearing their seatbelt, they would have been killed. And, and I, I'm willing to accept that there's maybe this anecdotal story that's out there. But for. 90, okay, 9,999 people out of, you know, 10,000, the seatbelt, your chances of walking away from an automobile accident, collision, whatever, are are going to be a lot greater if you're belted in and you're not. And I'm an odds guy. I I am. And if you tell me, okay, well, this is that one in 10,000 chance that you're going to be better off not wearing the seatbelt, I'm going to say I'm not going to take a one in 10,000 chance. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What's going on? And... I guess I promise if you call up, I'm not going to beat you up, but I am legitimately curious as to why somebody in today's day and age would make a decision not to wear seatbelts, because it appears to me that more and more people are making that decision. And frankly, I don't get it. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Isaac producing the show today. Gru's on vacation. Say hi to Isaac. He's a nice young man. Or Jeff Wagner, right after this. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let me share a couple texts, and then we're going to get to the various phone calls. If you want to join us, 855-616-1620. Jeff, as a kid, we used to hang out the back window of the parents' station wagon as they drove around town. We know so much better today. I don't even feel comfortable if my seatbelt isn't fastened. fastened. I think it could mean your life. Yeah, I've gotten that way, too. It's it's actually, to to me, that's... Get in the car, and I've got one of those, like, you push button, auto start, put my foot on the brake, you know, start the car, and then the next move is to put the seatbelt on. And and it doesn't, for me, it's just so second nature now. It doesn't matter whether I'm driving to work or driving on the freeway or just driving around the corner to, to put some mail in the mailbox. It's just become second nature to me. Jeff, I since I was a small child, I was always reminding my dad to wear his seatbelt. To this day, I remind everyone to wear it, especially now that I'm a mom. I was in a bad car accident and suffered serious head wounds due to not wearing my seatbelt. I also witnessed a horrible car accident where a child was thrown out of the vehicle due to not being buckled. Up north in Crivets, there's a big fine for not buckling up. Some people consider it to be a hassle or uncomfortable. I say better to be uncomfortable than to have your head go through the windshield when somebody rear-ends you at full speed. Be an example to the children. I, I guess I maybe it's I don't even find the, the seatbelts to be uncomfortable okay but but here's another perspective from another one of our our texters jeff my body my right as long as the government says it's okay to motorcycle without a helmet it should be consistent and say it's okay to drive a car truck without a restraint it's about freedom 
Okay, let, let's let's put the motorcycle helmet debate off to the side because that that's a topic for another day. But I guess to, to me, I, I understand my body, my right. I, I understand that the freedom sort of thing. And let's and again in Wisconsin, it, there is there is a you know seatbelt usage is mandatory. There's a law, and you're, it, it's only a ten dollar fine for violating it. So there's not really a a, a significant penalty for doing it. But I, I think that that misses the fundamental point is. Why wouldn't you do it? And see, that that's the thing. Why why wouldn't you do it, given the fact that it is a minor inconvenience at, 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 at best? It's a minor inconvenience. Okay, you get in, you sit there, you pull the thing across, and you, and you buckle it, and, and then you're all set. And in a lot of cars nowadays, if you don't have your seatbelt buckled, it beeps at you. It flashes at you. It's easier just to buckle the darn thing. Plus, it's one of these things where... You know, I've been told for the last year and a half, you got to follow the science. Well, the science is overwhelming that, you know, you're safer if you're in the seatbelt. Okay, let's start with John in Princeton. John, good afternoon. Thanks for calling. Hey, Jeff. Thanks John. for uh, taking my call. Sure. Okay. Um, my my yeah, note says... I don't, what... I don't wear a seatbelt. Okay, tell me why. Um, well, because I figure when you're old enough to drive, you're an adult... And you, that decision should be up to you. That's as plain as that. Okay. Well, let me let me kind of be, and, and I appreciate your call, Ian. I'm not, I'm not trying to beat you up, but um, oh there, no, there's all sorts of decisions that that you know. Hey, I I can jump off the, <laughs> I can jump off that third story roof, and and you and you don't do it because even though it's it's you've got the freedom to do it, it doesn't make any sense because you know you you might you might bust something up. I guess I. I, apart from the freedom question, don't do you believe that you are safer wearing a seatbelt than not, or, or don't you even buy into that? Um, no, not really. I think a lot of people that that have you know bad car accidents are, aren't paying attention, or there's another circumstance. I feel very confident in the way I drive and the way I pay attention when I'm on the road and. I but, guess it comes down to I feel I feel safe as me as the driver, and I feel I feel if I don't want to wear it, why should I have to? Yeah, I guess my concern would be less. It, it, it's great that you're and again. I'm not I'm not lecturing. I'm, we're, we're having a conversation. I, I mean, I mean, I understand that you, you feel you're a good driver and you're a safe driver. But I guess my question would be, what happens when you're down the road and that 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 kid driving the stolen car going 85 miles an hour plows through the red light and and, and just completely blindsides you? You're not wearing your seatbelt, and it, it's not has nothing to do with your driving. You're in the you know you're you're in the right. You're you're just happen to be in the wrong place at at the wrong time. I, I guess, don't you feel that maybe you'd be better protected from those other drivers on the road? Um, yeah, you're you're probably okay. right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Well, maybe I'll try to throw it on the next okay. time I'm driving. John, thank thank you for the call. Thanks. I I appreciate that, John. I appreciate you listening, and I want you to be listening to me for as long as I'm doing this radio show. And I just, I mean, I guess, I mean, just it's like the thinking of that. I mean, and I understand. Hey, I'm a I'm a good driver. I haven't had any accidents. I I'm not going to be the problem. But that's that's not it. It's like one of our texters was saying. Okay, you're you're sitting at the you're you're at the stop sign or you're at the red light, and the person behind you you plows into your car at, at 35 miles an hour you don't have a chance to get out of the way you're doing absolutely nothing wrong and then all of a sudden because you're not wearing a seatbelt, 
boom, instead of having whiplash, you know, you get driven through the front, um, the, the, the front uh, window of the car. And see, that, that I, and understand cars are safer, and, and that's all a great thing. But if you talk to people who work in auto safety and things like that, they'll, they'll tell you that it all starts with, with the seatbelt restraining people because you're driving 60 miles an hour in a car or you get hit by a car that's going 60 miles an hour or even less than that and you become a projectile. You get, you get thrown around the inside of the compartment. That's why Princess Diana died. I mean, Princess Diana wasn't wearing a seatbelt. If she'd been wearing a seatbelt, they, they think that she would have probably had a bruised sternum, you know, bruises on her chest, but she's not wearing a seatbelt, so she, I think, goes through the mirror, the front window or something like that. 855-616-1620. Again, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to preach here, but I am, I'm curious as to the mentality and the mindset. Um, uh, Brian in Germantown. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Brian. Thanks for, this is Brian. Hi, Brian. Yeah, go ahead. What do you think? <laughs> hey, Jeff, thanks for, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, I think it's just, um, a lot of people like like John who who make the decision not to wear seatbelt, um, independent of the thought process, and uh, B they just it's they think they know better, and you know they think that in that vein they yeah. think their airbag is going to save them. Well, airbags are a supplemental restraint system to the seatbelts. They're never designed to work without seatbelts, and yeah. but people just they don't know that they don't, and even if they did, they just think they know better and. Yeah, that's pretty much it. No, right, and and look, and I and I appreciate that even if everybody is wearing a seatbelt, there's still going to be fatalities on the highway. There, there's going to be crashes and things like that. That seatbelt or not, you're not walking away from. And, and I understand all that. I guess I just, you know, if you look at where a lot of the fatalities come from, it's the fact that people are thrown from the car. And, you know, and, and that's it's like there's the initial crash and then boom, all of a sudden you're, you're thrown, you know, 20 feet, 30 feet, whatever. And, you know, your, your head hits the ground or whatever. That's that's where a lot of the fatalities happen. And the seatbelt, that's going to stop that from happening. And I'm not guaranteeing people, everybody walks away from it. But it, I mean, I want to increase my odds of being here tomorrow if I'm in a bad car crash. Yeah, totally agree with you. Yeah, no, th- thanks right. for call. And no, and and it gets and these are the and the reason I bring this up. And again, it's not for me to climb on my soapbox. And 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 I mean, the law says you're supposed to do it, but I, I there's only a ten dollar fine for doing it. But it, it's not. I guess to me, it's not so much because of the law. It's because it makes it just it's a it's a thing that to me makes a lot of sense to to do, and it becomes just a habit after a while when you do it, and it sets a good example for kids. I mean, if you look at a lot of these studies that they have out there for people who don't wear seatbelts, and one of the big indicators, you know, why don't you wear a seatbelt, is, well, you didn't grow up wearing a seatbelt. And, and so it, it's if if you want to set a good example for your kids, and again, I'm not really trying to lecture here about this, but this, these numbers really caught my attention when I'm looking at it. The number of miles driven down, you know, 13% last year, the number of fatalities on the roads up 7%, and the number of people dying not wearing seatbelts up dramatically as well, it tells me, you know, it tells me more and more people aren't wearing the seatbelts, and if nothing else, protect yourself from the other drivers and be around to listen to the program moving forward. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, that's interesting Brewers news. The um, Today is the Major League Trade deadline, and, and the rules are a little different this year than they have been in the past because it, it used to be 
that you, you had the, the trade deadline, which was today, the end of July. But what would happen is you could still make trades till the end of August as long as the players like cleared waivers and things like that and be on the playoff team. Well, that's that's no longer the case. So uh, essentially what's going to happen is if there's going to be trades made, it has to be made by the end of today. Now, the Brewers have been incredibly active over the last couple months. They, they just didn't wait to the last minute. The, the trade they made, it might go down as the best trade, of course, in major league history major league baseball this year is bringing in um the shortstop really anonymous and they i think I, the, the numbers are, are just crazy the their the, the win since he started on the team w- with the team the, the winning is just incredible and I, I think a lot of it is probably attributable to him and then they they got the first baseman from uh, Toronto, who, who's hitting extremely well, and then you had the, the move earlier this week, um, Eduardo Escobar bringing over, bringing him over from Arizona, and, and he's a he, he's an infielder who can play multiple positions, but the big thing is he hits home runs, and he's a free agent at the end of the year, so it's just a rental. But they ended up giving up two players that I don't think anybody'd have heard of, and they, they could both go and be great stars in Major League Baseball, but they're not even among the Brewers' top 30 prospects. So the, the Brewers, I mean, I was listening to uh, satellite radio today, I was listening to the baseball channel, and I will tell you that these experts quote-unquote experts. I mean, they're on board. They are talking about how, in their opinion, the Brewers and the Dodgers are the two teams most likely to make make the World Series out of the National League this year. And it, it all stems from the great pitching that the Brewers have. And, you know, three really, you know, world-class pitchers, Peralta, Burns, and, and Brandon Woodruff, who we interviewed on reopening day. And what a great guy. He's just, he's just a tremendous interview. But these are three of the best pitchers in baseball. And in these, these series where you need to win three games, or you need to win four games, you know, having three great starting pitchers is really a tremendous asset. So the, the the Brewers have, again, by bringing in Escobar, what they want to do is they want to increase versatility and they, they want to boost the offense. And, man, you look at what happened in Pittsburgh over the last three days. They went 12 to nothing last night. And, I, I mean, I think they outscored the Pirates somewhere in the neighborhood of 30-some runs to three runs over the course of three games. I mean, the Pirates are a train wreck. But regardless, I mean, the Brewers are playing really good baseball. And I know a lot of the experts are start say, saying that th- this team is the real thing. So plenty of room on the bandwagon. Jump on. But the news today, and today is the um, the trade deadline. The Brewers ha- have acquired a a pitcher, a left-handed pitcher from the Detroit Tigers named Daniel Norris. Um, he's he's been with the Tigers for several years. As a matter of fact, he was at one point in time he was believed to be one of the the. Tigers' most highly regarded starting pitching prospects, but the last couple of years he's been sort of battling, you know, injuries. And for the last two years he's been pitching mainly in relief. But I, I'm looking at a story in the Detroit Free Press about this, and he's he's very well thought of in the Tigers organization. And the fact that he's been there, you know, pitching on a major league level for six or seven years, I mean, tells you tells you that again a little bit high earned run average, uh, five point eight nine, but forty strikeouts. Uh, 15 walks, particularly tough on left-handed hitters. It sounds like precisely the type of acquisition that the Brewers would make, somebody to help them. He's a free agent at the end of the year, so it's just, again, it's a rental. To get him, they gave up a right-handed starting pitcher named Reese Olsen, who they drafted 
Um, he's 22 years old. They drafted a couple of years ago, 13th round pick, um, and he decided to sign out of high school with the Brewers instead of going to college. Um, again, he's he's not listed among the Brewers' top 30 prospects, and that's not to say that the guy can't go on and have a great major league career, but again, it's another one of these deals where to get a player to help him for the last 60 games of the season and um, help him in the playoffs, they didn't give up one of their top sort of prospects. So uh, the Brewers, so far, making a lot of great moves. And if right now, it's the right moves. And like I say, plenty of room on the bandwagon. All right. Let's talk about masks, because everybody else is talking about masks. The, the Center for Disease Control, I think, is incredibly... I I think you could fairly describe them, no matter how well-intentioned you want to think they are, they are the gang that couldn't shoot straight. And I think they have done a lot to hurt themselves with their credibility. A couple months ago, they announced that, hey, if you're fully vaccinated, you, you don't need to wear masks in indoor settings if you're fully vaccinated. And so everybody takes off their masks, and that's it. We now have the the Delta variant, which is you know, moving through the country, and it's increasing the number of infections. So without much warning, what, two days ago, the CDC says, well, never mind. We, we now think that even if you are vaccinated, if you are in an area where there's a higher level of outbreak, indoor areas, we want you to wear masks. And everybody says, well, okay, why? What What is the science behind this? Where are the numbers that are driving it? And if now fully vaccinated people need to wear masks, does that mean that the vaccinations don't work? Does that mean that we've been on the wrong track all along? Because I thought the idea was if you get vaccinated, your chances of getting COVID are are rare. And if you get COVID, your chances of having to be hospitalized or dying are almost non-existent. So, so what is it? Is Do the vaccines not work? And if so, then why are we pushing them? Don't we need to go back to square one? So the CDC has kind of been like leaking out that a little bit. And and they say, okay, well, what we're doing and the basis for this is the fact that the number of COVID cases is going up. And it's this Delta, which is different, and we find it to be more infectious, and that's fine. And But nonetheless, they, they still say, no, no, vaccines work even against the Delta variant. So the vaccines are effective. So that's the message. So then the question becomes, okay, well, if the vaccines are effective, why do people need to to wear the masks if they are vaccinated? And the argument and what they're saying today is, well, we've got this study out of Massachusetts. And what happened is there were a bunch of people who who went to this, this, this like this weekend or, or whatever, some like vacation spot. And a number of the people who were vaccinated, they got reinfected. And so we looked at them and we found that if you are reinfected, the amount of a virus that you carry is the same as an unvaccinated person. So if, if you can follow that. So in other words, if you happen to get reinfected, you're going to at least have the same amount of virus to transmit to somebody else. Now, they still say you should get vaccinated because even if you get reinfected, your chances of, of having a bad outcome are dramatically less. But if you do, if you are one of the rare, and that's the word they continue to use, rare breakthrough cases, you are just as infectious to others as somebody who has never been vaccinated. Right? That, that's the thinking. But there's, there's no overall numbers beyond some of these anecdotal things. The CDC is not saying what their metrics are. 
as to how long this is going to happen. They're not saying exactly when they talk about um, areas where there's there's a higher level of COVID. They're not breaking it down as to you know where the stuff is being spread. For example, um, is it is this being spread in in bars or restaurants? Is it being spread in gatherings that people are having at their house? Well, there, 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 there's no data on that. There's no metrics on that. So it's still very, very uncertain. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So let me ask you this. Are you sold? Has the CDC convinced you that even though you are fully vaccinated, even though you've done all the right things, you should go back to continuing to wear masks moving forward for the indefinite future. Or is it like, hey, look, you know, I, I've done all the right stuff. The I'm still being told that my chances of getting sick are rare. My chances of getting COVID again are rare. And at that point in time, if somebody is walking around and they're unvaccinated, and I happen to have been a breakthrough case and not know about it, infect them, well, maybe that's on them. Maybe the responsibility should be on the people who aren't vaccinated to either accept the consequences of not being vaccinated or to get vaccinated. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. The CDC changing its guidance. Are you convinced they know what they're talking about? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, big developments this week. The CDC backtracking, saying, "Okay, well, we now think that vaccinated people should wear masks." Their justification is, "We did the study. We looked at this results out of um, out of Massachusetts, I believe, and we found that there were some people who got reinfected after they've been vaccinated, and even though they didn't have to be hospitalized or anything like that, they were as likely to pass on the virus." to other unvaccinated people as people who had never been vaccinated in the first place. So we want all vaccinated people, even though it is rare, that's the word they continue to use, it is rare that you will be reinfected if you are fully vaccinated. Um, nevertheless, you know, we, we want you to go back to wearing masks. 855-616-1620. I just, I, I frankly, I just, I, I think it's a tough sell to people and, and all the and I understand science changes. I, I get that. I get that. But if if you're going to change opinions on this, and there's all this new data, you got to be transparent. You got to present the metrics. You got to break down that data. And I don't think they they haven't done it yet. And I'm not sure they even have the underlying data to to break it down. Where is the the thing spreading? You know, is it again? Is it is it bars and restaurants that it's being spread? Is it in family homes? What you know? What's going on? On where is this stuff getting transferred? And if you're going to sell people on mask mandates, you've got to be really, really clear, because unfortunately, I think a lot of people are over it. And we have been told for months and months, once you get vaccinated, you're, you're essentially protected. And is that is that not the case? And if that's not the case, fine. Fine. I, 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 then, then what? What's the plan B? I, I got vaccinated. Tell me what the plan B is. I, I will do it because I don't want to spread this disease and I don't want to get sick again. But at the same time, you know, we, we we depend on quote unquote science 
to demonstrate what's going on and why it needs to be done. All right, let's start with Linda in Oconomowoc. Hi, Linda. Hello. What do you think? Um, well, I, when you were describing the story about the study from the CDC, I, you could have been my family you were describing. We were at a family gathering over the 4th of July weekend, and um, same scenario, um, somebody who was vaccinated with the Moderna came to the family reunion and she had COVID. She didn't realize it at the time. And it ended up infecting 15 of us, 11 of which were um, vaccinated people. So, um, you know, the first thing is people need to understand when you have the vaccine, you can still get it, which means you are not, you don't get this get out of everything free card because, I think people are ignoring, um, they're not on high alert for when they um, then get sick the same way somebody who maybe hasn't got vaccinated would be. I guess, you know, the scary thing to me, Linda, about the story you're telling, and, and look, I'm, I'm not a doctor, I don't play one on the radio, but I mean, the, the, the CDC still says if you get vaccinated, your likelihood of getting reinfected is rare. I mean, that, that's the word they're using. It's right. not mine. It's, it's, it's their word. It's rare. You're telling me that, you know, one of your family members, one, one of the people that attended this event had been vaccinated. Yeah. They're sick. Correct. They show up and they reinfect a large number of other people who have been vaccinated. That That's what happened, yeah. essentially, right? And I... I never even spoke with my cousin that brought it, and I still got, we were all together from the reunion was on a Saturday. We all left on a Sunday, you know, staying different places. Some people all staying together in a house, some people not. Um, I never even spoke with the cousin who brought it, which means I caught it from somebody who caught it from her all within a 24-hour period of time. But that person... I was one of the unvaccinated. Um, okay. My family was. So that means that I caught it from somebody who caught it from somebody who was vaccinated. Right. And, and see, that, um, that's, that's, see, that's the scary thing. That The scariest thing to me is, is, I mean, everybody keeps saying the vaccines work, the vaccines work. And I want to believe the vaccines work and I'm vaccinated. But Well, I, and so it's not the... The reason it doesn't scare me is because of all the people who got sick, and there was a very big age span from six years old who got COVID to 81 years old. Um, the older people were all vaccinated um, and um, probably had the worst symptoms, but nobody was hospitalized. Right. Okay. Right. Now, so it, I think it still did what it was supposed to do, but to me, the most interesting fact that i got out of all of this is um my cousin who's the exact we're a week apart both healthy individuals were in our 40s um we both got covid she's vaccinated i am not and um our symptoms were identical Hmm. so hers were no more lessened than mine interesting interesting. yeah Yeah, thanks i mean linda thanks for calling i guess i I, to, to me, that's 
it, it, it hits different people differently. I mean, I, I, I had COVID last November before I got vaccinated, and I had a very, very mild case. I, always, I almost always hesitate saying that on the radio because I, I don't mean to sound like I'm downplaying it. For me, it was it was a mild cold, knock on wood, very, very lucky. I went out and got vaccinated, you know, anyhow. But I know other people, including you know people, good friends of mine, who were in the hospital for three or four days and couldn't breathe and things like that. So I don't mean to downplay it. Juliet, Juliet, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. What do you think? Well, I'm 73 years old. We got the vaccine in February. My husband's 81. Um, We feel very confident that we're okay. Our other family members have all gotten the vaccine. In fact, my son and um, his wife and his granddaughter and even my my great-grandson, who was two years old, got COVID, but very mild cases. But um, I'm not, if they want to give me a booster shot in the fall, that's fine. But I'm not wearing a mask. I've had it with that. You're done with it. Hey, thanks for the call. Yeah, I mean, I, I here, see, here's my concern about all this as well. And I, I think, I, look, I, I, I'm a believer in, in vaccines. I, I think you know, people should get the vaccines because even if you get the breakthrough case, the, the chances of being hospitalized, the chances of dying are incredibly, incredibly remote. It's kind of like the idea of, you know, dying from a bee sting or something like that. But the problem is when you keep changing the advice you give, it, it makes it tougher to convince people to go get vaccinated if we're going to say, well, okay, yes, if you're vaccinated, um, you, you can still get it and you can still spread it. And so we think that you need to wear masks. Well, then the, the logical thing is, well, if that's the case, you know, why bother getting vaccinated in the first place? Let's take a break. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. But one of the textures says, Jeff, um, I get it can still be spread if you've been vaccinated, but are people being hospitalized or having really bad cases if they're vaccinated? Here's the numbers that I have from the CDC as of July 19th. That's a week and a half ago. Out of 161 million people fully vaccinated, only 4,072 have been hospitalized because of a breakthrough case. Um, so, so even if you, you are a breakthrough case, your chances of being hospitalized are, are almost non-existent. And, um, of the people that have died, 849. So that's point zero zero point zero 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 five percent It's, it's like being struck by lightning. So the, the, the best argument for getting a vaccination is that even if you get it again, your chances of getting sick, significantly ill, are very, very slim. All right, 133, I'm late. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here's Rusty Melberg. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I'm so very glad to have you with us spending your Friday afternoon. Looks like it's going to be an absolutely tremendous weekend, and I think we're all still feeling good about the uh, about the Milwaukee Bucks and all. And of, and of course, you've got the Ozaki County Fair. I mentioned this. We're going to talk about fairs and stuff in just a little bit as we kind of lighten it up as we move towards the uh, end of the program. But um, I, I was at the Ozaki County Fair yesterday. Just a lot of fun, and it was just. And then, of course, you've got the State Fair coming up next week. We'll talk more about that in just a bit. But I'm telling you, this is just. 
if you cannot find something to do in southeastern Wisconsin during the, the summer, you are just not trying hard enough. All right. Yesterday during the one o'clock hour of the program, we, we talked to Congressman Glenn Grothman and he had a couple of interesting things to say. We were he went down to the, the border and one of one of the things we have not been talking about what, what's been going on at, at the border because we've been talking about all sorts of other stuff. Right. So one of the things that that Congressman Grothman was talking about is he said, look, you know, if, if you go down to the border, what you you find is it, it's it's just out of control. And he said one of the things that they're finding is that a lot of the people who are coming across the border are are, are being sent by or coming at the behest of or being sponsored by drug cartel people. And and I said, well, wait, that that's you know what what's going on? Why why is that happening? He said, well, here's the deal. He said to to get to the border is a very, in some cases, dangerous, perilous, expensive sort of way to do it. And so what ends up happening is that they have to figure out ways to to finance this. So they either pay people that are associated with the cartel to help smuggle them over, or alternatively, they agree to do things like carry drugs across the, the border in an effort to, uh, I mean, th- that's how they pay off the stuff. And it was kind of staggering because we were looking at the, the numbers of the, the amount of, of drugs, particularly uh, phenytal, which is just very, very highly addictive and very, very uh, deadly. Like, for example, the uh, Border Patrol, as of um, May, had already seized more fentanyl in 2021 than for the whole year of 2020. Um, and so what, what's happening is that this is what the Border Patrol people are saying. A lot of the folks that are coming across the border, they, they want to get across the border, but in order to do it, they've got to cut deals with drug traffickers, et cetera, et cetera, bring this stuff in. And you, you want to talk about, like, human trafficking and abuse of people. Th- this is what's going on. And there's really no good answer, you know, for this. So I, I said to Congressman Grothman, I said, well, what? You know, okay. Well, what what needs to happen here? And you know, how can we we stop this? And his answer was, well, we need to do what we were doing under Trump that we were not doing under Biden. And essentially, you know, we we need to toughen enforcement. We need to detain families, and we need to increase deportations. Those are the things that were done under Trump. Those were actually the things that were done under Barack Obama as well. Toughening enforcement, detaining families, increasing deportations, but that—that's not what—that is not what Biden is willing to do because a large number of Democrats that he, you know, has to ultimately answer to, as well as the overall voters, they—they they don't want to do that. They don't want to deal with the idea that we need to be tougher closing our borders. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I know we talk about COVID, and I know we talk about, you know, the recovery from the economy and the pandemic and stuff. I I think we're taking our eye off what is a major, major problem, which continues to be the fact that we have lost control of the southern border. 
and that people who are coming into this country knowing that there is very little chance that they're going to be sent back are being encouraged to do it. And for everybody who says, well, we should just have open borders, let everybody come in, well, understand what this is doing. This is benefiting, at least according to Congressman Grothman, this is uh, this is benefiting like the drug cartels because they're exploiting the people to help get them into this country in the first place. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss. Stay tuned. Jeff Wagner returns after this on WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We had a, what I consider to be a relatively provocative conversation with Congressman Glenn Grothman yesterday, who was actually down at the border talking to, uh, I mean, border control people. And one of the recurring themes, themes was in order to get across the border, a lot of the people ha- you know, end up cutting deals with, with drug cartels and drug traffickers and either paying them money to help get them to the border or alternatively um, agreeing to smuggle drugs across for them. That, that's the way of like paying for paying for their journeys. And and you're seeing that in the increased amount of drug seizures that are going on at the border. And this is something that never gets talked about. The other thing that Grothman was talking about, and I think he's absolutely right, is we're all right. We, you, you cannot turn on the radio news, turn on the TV news, pick up a newspaper or look at, at a news website without seeing one story after another about COVID. All right. That's this is it. And you've got the CDC, which is changing its rules all the time. And they're saying, well, OK, now we've got this, this Delta variant that's coming in and it's, uh, you know, more dangerous. And it's all, all these type of things. Well, the, the point the congressman made, and he's absolutely right, is what do you think is is going on with these people who are coming into the country? You, do, do you think that they are all healthy? Do you think that these are largely people who have not been exposed to COVID? And and so you know, all right, we're, we're telling we're telling people up here, okay, we, you know, wear masks and you know, do this and do that and try to get vaccinated. Well, all right, what what are the standards for the people that are essentially being brought into this country by drug cartels? And I'm not saying that they're bad people. I'm, I'm but you can understand the point that Glenn Grothman was making is they have to pay for their passage to get here somewhere, and it, it's not like they're all gang members or things like that. Actually, I think a lot of people are being exploited. That's the ultimate effect of this. Jeff, here's a text. Does anybody realize with the amount of illegal immigrants coming into this country on the southern border how it is related to the increase in the the pandemic? Um, Yes, I I think that there's, you know, an element of that. And there's just, you know, no question about it. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I don't think it's an accident that some people are doing this because um, I think some people believe and see this as potential votes down the road. The people on the border are screaming for help but are being ignored by the Biden administration and by the mainstream media. Well, I don't think there's any question that the mainstream media is now sort of ignoring this. This was a huge humanitarian issue when Donald Trump was the president, but now that it's Joe Biden, well, okay, there's nothing to see here. And and the reality is there is something to see here. And I look, I, I, I think there's no, no first world country 
has open borders. They, they, they just don't. Canada doesn't. You, no country can simply say, here, j- just come in and we're not going to have any restrictions and, and just it's it, a free for all. No country in the world does that, or at least, you know, no, no first world country does that. You cannot do that. You have to have some sort of regulation of what ends up happening. And, and unfortunately, that, that means you have to have better enforcement at the border. Let's talk to Craig and Horicon. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hey, uh, uh, just want to say, you know, maybe we could utilize our, our military bases a little bit better if, if we placed them along the northern and southern borders. Obviously not uh, a big concern on the northern, but you're training them for both cold weather, hot weather, and then you could put federal prisons on each of those military bases and that way you're training your military uh, you know giving them an opportunity to train as prison guards border patrol something that they can utilize after they uh, depart the military and then you're also protecting uh you know all borders equally um providing that but you know on the other hand uh, there's no doubt who would not want to come to the United States. My parents were immigrants, sure. and they did it the right way, but right. who would not love to be here? Jeff, have a great weekend. Yeah, you as well, Craig. Well, first of all, I, I am... I am I am not in favor of of using the the U.S. military for 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 border enforcement. Now I think you know that the military. See, I think the military has a distinct role from civilian control. Now I'm not saying the military can't supplement things, but no, I I, I don't want the military running immigration prisons and things like that. I agree with you, Craig. I mean, I think you know I understand why people want to come to the United States looking for a better life, and that's why I think there have to be avenues that are out there and. and Maybe we can have this conversation. Candidly, I think the opportunity, there was a missed opportunity for Republicans to do this in 2016 after uh, Donald Trump had first gotten elected president. There was an opportunity to come together and figure out where we're going to be on the dreamers and all. And I, I have always made this argument that what we needed what we need to do all along is figure out, first of all, how do you stop the flow of people illegally into this country? That, that's number one. Secondly, of the people that have been illegally in this country for a number of years, the, the dreamers, what we need to do is sort out a difference between those who are, I don't know, the the, 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 the 22-year-old who was brought into this country by their parents when they're four and have grown up in this country and really, are, for all intents and purposes, are, are Americans who are not causing problems, who are going to school, who are working hard. I think what you need to do is, if not, figure out a way to give them a path to citizenship. Because citizenship to me is different than legal residency. I do think we need to figure out a way to, to give them at least an opportunity and a path to legal residency. Now, let, let's say that number is 11 million, and out of that 11 million, 1 million people are problems, the other 10 millions are not. Well, then we need to get rid of the 1 million that are the problems and figure out a way for legal residency for the, the 10 million that are here. But, but the key to that, is at the same time you got to shut off the the flow of, of people coming into this country illegally it it can't because if it's if it's 10 million now all right then suddenly and then another 10 million people pour in no you you've got to you've got to close down the the flow of illegal immigration then you figure out what you do with the people who've been here for years and years who aren't posing problems but you know we're, we're not willing to confront all these issues you've got people on the left you got people on the right 
who say, Jeff, what part of illegal don't you understand? We've got to get rid of everybody, to which I say, you know, I, I live in this real world. We don't have the resources to ident- identify somebody who's been in this country for 22 years, creating no problems at all, and say, you know, suddenly we're, we're going to send you back to Central America, someplace that you have no ties to at all because you came into this country when you were three years old. And my point would be, well, why would we bother doing that? that that's a waste of limited resources. At the same time, then people on the left say, well, we should have no borders at all. Everybody just pours in. And that's that's just crazy talk. So it's been it's just kind of frustrating to me that we, we sort of talk over each other and around each other when it comes to immigration. Number one, you got to shut down the borders. Number two, you've got to figure out what to do with the non-problem people who have come in illegally over the years. Figure out a path to legal residency, which is different than citizenship, but, but it, we, we talk over ourselves on these issues, and it's extremely frustrating. All right, we're lightening it up in the next hour of the program. Stick around. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Russ, are you a golfer? I am. You are, okay. My wife has uh, retaken up the game for the mm-hmm. last couple years because I, I, I play, and, and she's she's actually getting she's getting pretty good at it. This, this summer, she has had two separate occasions where she has come within probably like seven inches of a hole in one. Okay. Not, not just one, but, but two. And so she said, you know, you ever, did you ever have a hole in one? I said, well, yeah, I, I had one in 1984 was when I, when I had the hole in one. Well, how long have you been playing golf? I've been playing golf my whole life. So I think she's now convinced that the, the, these hole in one, it's like, wait, you've been playing golf your whole life and you've only had one. I've, I've come within like six inches of having one, you know, twice over the course of the last, uh, the last month or two. So I'm, she, she is overdue. I, I feel this pressure and I was just listening to the weather report. It's going to be nice. So I'm going to try to play some golf this weekend, mm-hmm. but it's, I'm, I'm feeling that pressure because she is, she is definitely due to to put one or two in there. Have you ever had a hole in one? I've been a few inches close, so I've I've so had be a no, but you come close. I have come close, and if you really want to have fun watching struggles for hole in ones, they've had some professional golfers take like fifty or one hundred swings on a par three, right, and be like a distance where it's like they can actually make it. And you just see that frustration growing as it's like every shot is like right, yeah. <laughs> see, when I when I hit the ball in the par threes, it's like okay, I hope it's not going to go to the water. I hope it's not going to go to the sand trap. I'll, I'll, I I hope it's reasonably close to you know the pin so I can make this putt. But the the one hole in one I had, I never even saw. It was it was the. Um, it was kind of like in the morning, so you're sort of looking into the sun, and I hit mm-hmm. the ball over the water on this par three, and I get down to the green, and it's it's not on the green, and I'm going, oh come on, and it did it did it back up into the water? Did I hit it over? And we're all kind of looking around, and then one of the guys I'm playing with says, "What kind of ball are you playing?" And it was in the hole, but <laughs> and, and so I thank thankfully it, it had my initials on it or something, <laughs> so there wasn't any question that it was mine. But um, I don't know, my my wife is probably going to have she's at least the way she's going, she's going to beat me again this year. So. Well, at least you got one. So I have you got that. Absolutely. I, I, I have one. You can't take that one away. It would have nice. It would have nice to see it go in, though. But 
Okay, but I did, in fact, have one. All right, we uh, this is the 2 o'clock hour of the program, Pop Culture Corner, which is going to be very, very fun later on this afternoon. Um, that's coming up in about 20 minutes. But I, I, I want to start off, um, as, as I was mentioning earlier, uh, last night, I, I can't I can't believe, I feel bad that I've never done this. I, I went to the Ozaukee County Fair, and I, I'd never been to the Ozaukee County Fair. It's one of the free, one of the remaining free fairs that's out there, and, and just had a had a great time. We went with um, three other couples of and just kind of walked around. And the Ozaki Fair, it, it's sort of it's a mini version of State Fair. They've got a little midway area, and it's smaller, but they've got all the different foodstuffs that are there, and they've got like the firemen or they run a bar and they're selling beer for five dollars a can and stuff like that. It was it and it was great. And the, the Lions Club has a has a tent and stuff, and it was it was just a lot of fun. They've got really small music stages, but it was it was an intimate venue to to see some performers and stuff. And we just ended up having a great time, which really has me in the mood for what is going to happen next week. Now, to help you get in the mood, here's here's a tune. I've got some cheese curds that I'm willing to share. Then I want to ride that giant slide over there. So if you've got 11 days to spare, won't you come with me to the Wisconsin State Fair? Won't you come with me to the Interestingly Wisconsin enough, if you recognize that voice, uh, that was one of the performers that I went to see last night at the Uzaki County State Fair. That's that's Pat McCurdy, who is kind of a legendary performer. He got his own very loyal following, and um, went. To, he was at the Uzaki County Fair last night. I was I was watching him, and he they they hired him to do the Wisconsin State Fair theme the, the this year. So he's going to be performing there. I think the second weekend or something he was saying but but the the state fair is starting now last year because of the pandemic people were required to take take the fair off this year they're, they're back they've made some changes and we've talked about this before it doesn't open up until later it opens up at 11 in the morning typically it would open up i think at like seven or eight it opens up at 11 o'clock in the morning it closes at 11 o'clock all nights i think but the last night the reason they're opening up at 11 is because they're candidly they're having the same problem a lot of places are having they're having trouble you know getting employees and so uh, by reducing the hours it made it a little bit easier to do that they've um eliminated uh, its cashless entry. So if, if you're going to buy tickets at the fair, they encourage you to do it in advance, um, you've you got to have a credit card to do that that's not cash. If uh, you're going in for parking, you know, it, it's, again, you're going to have to um, – use a credit card. It, it's it's not cash. Vendors inside the grounds will have the option of whether they want to accept cash. So my guess is a, a lot of those are going to do that. Um, bus service isn't going to be the same. So there, you know, there, there, it's, it's going to be a little bit different. But nonetheless, I think it's it's going to be I think it's going to be very cool. We're going to be broadcasting there. We start on Thursday. My program will start, and since it doesn't open till 11 o'clock in the morning, my show will be the first show, and, and then John McCure is going to be out there as well. So at least on, on weekdays, I'm not sure what the weekend schedule looks like, but on weekdays, McCure will be there, I'll be there, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it very much. I, I've... When I first started here a long time ago, um, I was in the studio for a week, and then I was out at the State Fair, and I just it's been a blast. I've enjoyed it for all these years, and I am very excited that it's coming back. All right, but, but here's the conversation. 
we have been, and you know, I, I understand we talk a lot about COVID. You've got the COVID numbers that are going up. People are still, I think, to some extent, at least some people, uncomfortable being in larger groups, although you would not have known that from what you saw in the Deer District, you know, a week and a half ago, where, where people just were packed shoulder to shoulder. I think people are really, I think people are ready to get out. I think people are ready to socialize. I think we are ready to return to normal. And my guess is the state fair is going to be incredibly, incredibly successful this year, even with some of the modifications that, that, that they've had to make with regard to hours and cashless and things like that. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you my experience at the Ozaki County Fair yesterday just simply jazzed me for what's going to be happening next week. I love the state fair. I cannot wait for it to open, and I'm looking forward to being out there, so much so that I've already, you know, kind of scheduled a couple things, you know, after I get done with work, oh, you know, come on out, we'll 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 hang out, that type of stuff. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you excited about the State Fair? Are you going this year? What do you want to see? What do you want to do? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, the local newspaper had a story about the return of State Fair and the impact it has on West Dallas in particular. And 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 yes, there's clearly a financial impact there, and there's a financial impact on the vendors. Um, one of the um, one of the uh, residents and one of the businesses around there says, well, I'm, I I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen out there. What's spending going to be like? I don't know. How many people are actually going to show up? I think they're a little hesitant, especially with this other strain, and I don't know how many other strains are going to surface in the future. Now, I, I don't mean to downplay this, but I don't I don't think that that is going to be a problem at all. I mean, I looked at, again, looking at what went on in the Deer District a week and a half ago and all the people coming down to watch the bucks on the big screens and to celebrate and the party, I, I think there is tremendous pent-up demand to get out. Now, again, my, my indicator last night, Ozaki County Fair. It, it's, it's not anywhere near in scope, but I will tell you something. There, there were— there were a lot of people there. Now, I'm not saying it was so crowded that you had to walk shoulder to shoulder, but it was. there were a lot of people there, and there were a lot of people sitting close together, and there were a lot of people just having a good time. I, I think— I think that people are ready to get out. They are ready to get back to normal. And, and I don't think COVID concerns are going to keep the vast majority home. Now, I appreciate that there might be some people who are saying, well, I'm just, I'm not ready to go out in public. But you're, you're not, you look at the attendance at the Brewers games now that started out, I think, maybe a little bit slower than people hope. But, you know, now they're regularly drawing, you know, 30, 35 plus thousand people as people jump on that bandwagon. No, I think people are are ready to go. Here's some text. Jeff, I will definitely attend. The fair food is a huge draw for me, and I love watching the local bands. Can't beat happy hour there after working all day. I'll probably attend around two times. Looking forward to my annual cream puff and lots of 
food on the stick. Jeff, my family bought state fair tickets weeks ago. We have gone every year since forever, with the exception of last year. I can't wait for the food, the fun, and the family ties. Jeff, I was absolutely excited for the fair until this morning. Um, You have to wear masks inside the buildings. Um, That's going to be a factor for me. Um, I'm not and then they're talking about how they're not thrilled to to wear the masks in the buildings. I think that's going to be an issue. My guess is it's not my guess is it's not going to hold down attendance too much. Now, you can there there will be some people who say I don't want to go through that, but the the bottom line is so much of state fair is outside that it's not like you're saying, okay, well, if you're going to get on the airplane, you got to be prepared to wear the mask for, for six hours at a time. Um, Jeff, I'm afraid that they're going to ruin it with a last-minute man- mask mandate. Um, well, that's a factor there. Jeff, I will definitely be there. Um, there isn't a virus out there that can keep me away. Um, well, so there you go. You have that at all. Um, Jeff, I'm definitely going to attend I will be there as well. So, I mean, look, here's the bottom line of all this. We're trying to get back to normal. And I understand that there might be some restrictions and there might be some limitations and there might be some stuff which a lot of us feel may be overreactions um, and unnecessary. But at the same time, you, you don't want to cut off your nose to spite your face. If you enjoy the experience at the State Fair, you want to go out and you want to take advantage of that experience. We've waited a long time to enjoy this, and I think a lot of people are ready to get out and do exactly that. Like I say, if my experience last night at the Ozaki County Fair is any indicator— think it's going to be a good year for State Fair. If you're coming out and about, if you're there between noon to 3 on most weekdays, be sure to stop by our WTMJ booth and wave. And um, I try to come out and say hi to as many people as possible. State Fair starts next Thursday. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Yeah, the the texture was for people who are wondering about the state fair. um, Yes, the mask, the state fair is going to be requiring masks indoors per CDC recommendations. So we have the Center for Disease Control to thank for this. Um, Fair representative says we'll continue to change policies to match CDC recommendations, which, as we've talked about before, um, change um, frequently. Let's see what they're saying. And the rules are that um, uh, they say we're following the recommendations of the CDC to wear masks indoors. We actually will provide people with masks if they forget them in our indoor buildings. But you have to remember, most of our buildings are outdoors or open air. Yeah, that that is that's the, the case. So if you're kind of anti the mask mandate and stuff, I, I would I would encourage you not to let that stop you from going out to the state fair because this doesn't apply to, at least the way I understand it, it doesn't apply to outdoor venues or open air venues, which is, I I think, a a good chunk of the place. But for some of the most popular attractions, like, for example, the Wisconsin Products Building, where you go in and you get the the ice cream from the the dairy kids and you get the omelets and stuff like that, um, I think you're going to have to wear a mask while you're walking through there. Um, they also remind people to bring your credit card because parking admissions are cashless to 
limit contact. Now, if you're a regular listener's program, you know that I, I think some of that stuff just makes no sense to me, the, the, the limited contacts. Since one thing, if we follow the science, we know is that COVID does not spread as a general rule from surface to surface. And by passing cash between people, you're, you know, you're not likely to get COVID. But I, I digress on that. So bottom line is, come on out, enjoy the Wisconsin State Fair, and be sure to say hello. There, there's a story in Wall Street Journal today, and, and it's just, it underscores to me how politics and, and corporate behavior really, in many cases, it just doesn't mix. Now, you know, we've seen this in some regards on the left, where you have, I don't know, some, some companies. Like, remember, there was all the controversy about the Georgia voting laws, and you had, for example, Coca-Cola that decided that they're going to, you know, wade into this. And you had Major League Baseball that decided they were going to pull the All-Star game. And, and I mean, it's, it's virtue signaling in the extreme because Georgia's voting laws have not changed. And, yes, you, you pulled the Major League Baseball game from Atlanta, and all that did was hurt you know, the, the city of Atlanta, which is a majority-minority city. Okay, so, so good move. And you absolutely you ended up changing nothing. And from the perspective of, for example, Coke, what they did is they, they alienated a lot of their customer base who said, you know, we, you know, we don't want, you know, corporate America dictating politics on an issue, especially when, you know, they might be on the wrong side of that issue. Well, the flip side is on the right. One of the best examples of that is Mike Lindell, who's the MyPillow guy. And I, I continue to believe MyPillow is a great product. But I will be curious to see what has happened to the sales of my pillow since Mike Lindell has emerged as as one of the most vocal proponents that the election was stolen from President Trump and things like that. Um, bottom line is the story it's here is that apparently my pillow is pulling all its ads from Fox News because uh, Mike Lindell is upset after Fox declined to run a commercial that um, w- was linked to his efforts to promote the, the argument that the election was stolen. Fox said, no, we're not going down this rabbit hole. And they said, no. So now um, Lindell has said, okay, well, if that's how they're going to be, I- I'm going to pull my ads. And my pillow spent almost $50 million on Fox News last year. I, I think the interesting thing that's going to happen, though, is you know who-, who ends up losing in this? And I don't think there's any question that my pillow which was you know just a huge huge brand nationwide i i think my pillow's been hurt a lot by the desire of the owner to become so publicly associated with politics. People have the right to do it. There's no question about it. But you need to understand that when you're going to be vocal in support of one side or another, and when you're really going to be sort of, and you end up being the face of that company, you have to understand whether it's on the right or left, when you decide as part of corporate America that you're going to play in politics, you know, be prepared for a backlash. My pillow is getting that backlash, and I think that there's a lot of companies who are trying to demonstrate how woke they have been over the course of the last several months who are going to be experiencing a backlash as well. Sometimes business and politics, at least the public face of business and politics, doesn't necessarily mix. All right, 2.30. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. He's been with me all day, Rusty Melberg.